For everything surrounding independent league baseball, this is the show. So grab a bat and send them to the batter's box because this is the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Back again, episode 25, and for the first time in a long time, we got a full house. Oh, I'm back, ladies and gentlemen, uh, from a short reprieve on the other side of the world. I've been fishing in the Antarctic lately, so, you know, it's been a good time. And I'm back with you today to talk about some independent league baseball. And yeah, fishing for good excuses, I bet. Yeah, that's what it is right there. And at least he's honest. You gotta give him that much, yeah. at least. <laughs> in any case, we're back again to bring you everything in independent league baseball. We got a full slate talking more so about River City, like was promised on the last episode. We're going to be talking a little bit of a Gastona, but that stuff comes later in the show. We got stuff to talk about off on the field proportions. So I think there's no better place to get it started than with the Sussex County Miners, who clinched the playoff spot, the first one in the Can Am League, last night. So what are we thinking about Sussex County going into the rest of the year and to the postseason? They did a fantastic job early in the season. They got off to a hot start. And they played really well, and it's put them in position to make the playoffs now uh, as we get towards that time of year. But one of the things that is concerning is that their play of late hasn't been great. Uh, so I think they've set themselves up, obviously, to be in contention. But problematically, I don't know how far they're going to go in the playoffs. I don't see them being as strong of a team as they had last year. So we'll have to see what happens moving forward. But really, I do think this is obviously a positive for them. They've made the playoffs. It's great. Uh, and as a local fan, it's awesome to be able to go to playoff games. But by the same token, it's a little, they've struggled a little bit in the recent past. And so we got to see what happens as we progress here. Yeah, I think that's a very fair assessment there. I mean, we have known the Myers to kind of be an up and down team. Traditionally, they're a fairly strong team, like you're saying. Last season, especially, was a really strong team. I mean, they were just a really dominant force for the vast majority of the year. I think where they're really going to sh- kind of run into that wall is the pitching aspect of it. Because while they do have two or three really solid guys, most notably Frank Duncan, that can really lead the charge, Jose Jose, Ryan Newell in the bullpen there, really solid forces. Jose is probably one of the better, if not the best, setup man around. He could possibly be a closer. Yeah, on yeah some, he could probably do both, yeah. Yep, on some teams there, I know he's been using that role kind of mixed between him and Newell, depending on who's uh, got the fresher arm, I suppose. But that's kind of still concerning to me. And guys like uh, Paulino, He's been a kind of up-and-down guy. He had a couple of rocky starts. This other guy is Jeff Thompson, and then he had a bad start against uh, the champions that kind of pushed back their clinching a day. And so that's, that is kind of concerning on that front. And also, their bats have kind of gone to a rut lately. Uh, not everybody's been performing to the level that you kind of expect from them. By and large, though, they're still a strong team. I mean, Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, this is still a good team. It's not a team that's bad by the imagination. Obviously, they've clinched the playoff spot first. But you got a lot of teams on their heels. you got Three Rivers and a bunch of teams that are nipping at their heels. Jackals aren't too far behind there as well. So you got to uh, be careful of that if you are the, the Miners. And we have to see where it goes. Obviously, for the Miners, pitching is going to be the big factor. Obviously, you're not going to get a whole ton of home runs uh, in the Can-Am League. So you got to wait and see if... You know, if, who gives up those home runs are going to be the team that probably loses. The pitching always makes a difference in any type of baseball, but particularly in the Can-Am League, where the offense, you know, can be sluggish sometimes. That we talk so heavily about the pitching, the pitching making the biggest impact. But when you have teams that are very offense-focused, it's more or less who's going to do the less damage on the pitching staff on that angle. 
But with that, I think it's kind of a nice segue into talking about Somerset. That's a team that gets the pitching. But they're just, they couldn't hit water if they fell off a boat. Oh, they couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. It's uh, uh, incredible. It's just absolutely incredible how bad their offense was. We went to the game the other day, and it was just it was putrid. I, I don't know if I've seen an offense struggle that badly in quite some time. They didn't get runners on. They couldn't get runners over. And even when they did have a threat, they would strike out. They, they just didn't look like they were in time. And obviously, El Nino Espinal is really the only one there who who really is being uh, productive right now. Uh-huh. And, and he, he, looks, he looks like he's hurt. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was about to say, and last night when, when he slid in the second there in the ninth, it looked like uh, he was kind of getting up slow. And even yeah. then, boy, was the bat beforehand, he kind of was slow going down the line. So yeah, I, was, he was I was thinking there was something wrong with, I assume something with his heel, I was thinking, but it could be really any sort of a lower body injury in general. I mean, I don't want to just kind of basically uh, speculate on that. Maybe he just was, you know, sore or something like right, that. Right. Maybe it's just some kind of sluggish day. Who knows? But, you know, it's something to watch there. But getting back to the main point where their offense is solely around uh, Espinal and Paredes. I mean, that's been something that's been like a textbook on them. Where if you shut those two down, that's about it. Uh, Massey contributed a bit. He had a couple of hits last night. But by and large, they pushed across one run. Yeah, one run against Lancaster, which isn't exactly the best team, you know, exactly. in the Atlantic League. So, exactly, and it's just the uh, you just need to see more out of a team like that. Yep. And the most amazing is they're a half game out of a wild card spot at the moment. Yeah, I saw that and last we'll, night. And would we'll take it on a tiebreaker with York. That's incredible. Which I just don't. I like. I understand how it's possible, but I don't understand how it's possible here. I mean, it's clear that that first half is really bailing them out right now. It is. It now, really is. granted, even if they do get in, I'm not liking their odds of going very far just because their offense is not doing well. I mean, already off the bat, we knew kind of going in, they're not going to be an offensive team. They're going to be a small ball type team. They're not a home run hitting team. And as we saw last night, a couple of shots were hit deep and they just like died as soon as they hit the halfway mark that yeah, outfield. Yeah, the T-Bank ballpark really has been eating up balls all year from what I've seen. So I, I don't know whether it's the wind patterns that we've had on games we've went to, but it just has been eating up like really hard hit baseballs. I saw three or four shots that should have left the yard. Only one did, and it was for Lancaster, of course, but the very it's very hard to get offense going in that ballpark if you're not playing that kind of small ball yeah. game. But when you're just not getting hits, when most of the lineups batting like 230, 260, it's not you're clearly not getting on base the way you need to. And as we said a couple times, they squandered those opportunities. They squandered those opportunities, and they've gotten away from that small ball idea. Everyone's kind of pressing now. So this idea has penetrated the lineup, it looks like. It's really permeated within them, and it, it seems like everybody's pressing. They're trying to hit everything, you know, 350 feet, and, you know, they're really trying to muscle up, and, and instead of playing that small ball, small ball game that they're really used to and accustomed to, so I think it's uh, you know it's unfortunate at this point that they're not able to get going. If they get in, maybe they can make some noise. They got a lot of veterans on their team. You never know, mm-hmm. but they could be in some trouble here as well. In the first half, it was their pitching that was kind of covering up a lot of mistakes. I agree with that. Because yeah. they had a really solid rotation when you had guys like obviously Kubiak, yep. who already still, even though he hasn't pitched in this league in over a month, he still looks like the kind of guy where I'm going, yeah, you know, he's still. Pitcher of the year, as far as I'm concerned. Right, yeah. Then you still had Oberholzer, who's now gone overseas. Yep. You've had Darnold, who's now gone as well. You had O'Sullivan, who's still there. You had Dormany, who's now also gone. You had a very solid six man rotation of a series of guys. Holmberg, too, came in. 
just a lot of really solid pitching. And that was able to really disguise a lot of the, a lot of the mistakes here. Cause those guys would go through seven, eight innings, give up maybe one, two runs. And the team was able to go ahead and push enough, just enough across to be able to get you through. Plus also strength schedule and things. If you look at that, it also makes a difference. But by and large, it's, there's a noticeable drop off. There's a noticeable drop off. Obviously the pitching has been good. Last night, the pitching wasn't bad until the last inning kind of unraveled on them a little bit, but. I think the pitching isn't bad. The pitching will still be a strong point for them. And if they do squeak in, they could make some noise because their bullpen is really not that bad. However, offensively, what I saw last night is what they're going to continue to do. They have no chance. Absolutely no chance of making it if they don't improve offensively from last night. Oh, absolutely. It's one of those things where they really need to start stepping up that offensive game. And if they do, they were a dangerous team. But until they do such, it's... It's not looking good. Nope. It's looking bleak there, but uh, that's the way that goes. Uh, I think kind of sticking with the Atlantic League now, something to kind of talk about here, something that's been kind of the talk of uh, indie ball Twitter, I guess. It's been <laughs> a flurry with this, that if the words come down at that wall, they have the data from the track, man, and that was one of the main positive parts of the uh, Atlantic League agreement with Major League Baseball. That information stays with... Major League Baseball and the clubs themselves. So no public data for that, which I saw, I believe it was the, the Green Monster on Twitter. He raised the point saying, well, it is their data and we have every right to be upset with them to voice that we're upset with it because well, we're all on the same page. So it's kind of BS that we can't see this. Right. It's still theirs to do with what they see fit with. While I agree, yes, it is their data and they can use it as they see fit. It really seems like the MLB is not doing them any favors. It seems an awfully lopsided deal, like I was saying last night on Twitter. Yeah, certainly from a just a perspective of a fan, it's terrible. It's awful to have Major League Baseball come in and say, we're implementing this new thing, we're implementing this new system, and you're not going to see any of the data from it. Uh, we're just going to kind of keep it between us and the teams. The problem with that is it lacks transparency. People aren't going to trust the system. People aren't going to trust what's going on with the data. People aren't going to trust the trackmen. And now that's going to, I think it could wind up hurting the Atlantic League, not necessarily this year, but attendance wise, next season, things like that. It could hurt them. But moreover, it just makes people less comfortable. It makes me less comfortable with the entire idea of the MLB partnership with Atlantic League baseball. Obviously, as we've said time and time again on this show, transparency, transparency, transparency. The more transparent you are, the better it is in general. Obviously, the more information you go and show off to fans and the like, the easier it is for reporters and people like us to do what we do. You know, we can compare it easier. And I think it was Mike Ashmore who had said, uh, you know, if you allowed them to kind of share this data, you can compare a Talvin National run to like a Pete Alonso home run. And then you can go, Look, our guys are, they're not so different. Now, I'm sure that's part of the reason why Major League Baseball doesn't want that shown. Right. Because the last thing they want is, you know, like Isaiah Tejada, Telvin Nash, or rarely any of the major sluggers in the league to be, you know, bombing stuff and having the same launch angle, swing angle, uh, same like bat speed, everything that, you know, matches like a Yelich, like an Alonzo, like a Trout, something like that. Now, granted, you know, those are, all vastly different calibers of players, but right. you know, it's still it would it would help a lot to be able to use that in promotion. 
And it just seems like a little thing, if for nothing else, it's just a good face gesture to say, yeah, you could use it, even if only selectively. Right, even if it's only selectively. And I think you raise a really good point, because, yes, maybe it might do that, and you could compare, let's say, you know, Nash to Trout or something like that, some, yeah. uh, something wild like that, which really wouldn't be fair for either player. Mm. But if you did that, what it could do is help a guy like Nash get back into a, exactly. a, a major league affiliate or something. Yeah, because like it gives you that groundswell from fans. Yep. Obviously, already you have scouts and whatnot seeing that information, so, you know, it's going to help them regardless. But if you have that momentum push, you know, especially from, like, a fan base around York, which I'm sure has a good amount of so Baltimore, Washington, and Philadelphia fans there. Yeah. You got that push, you grab a guy in there, I mean, especially with Baltimore. I mean, God, they can't get worse. Yeah, really. So, yeah, I mean, especially offensively. Oh, my Yeah, goodness. exactly. So they might as well just grant Nash anyway. But I mean, you certainly got a better launch angle than Chris Davis. My goodness. <laughs> Being able to use that to promote it would help so much. And it's just, it's just one of those stupid things that makes no sense as to why not. Like, there's just not a good reason outside of, well, it's our data. We don't want to share it. Right. It seems like they're just strong-arming the Atlantic League. The Major League Baseball is just saying, you're the little brother, and this is how you're going to do this. This is how this is going to be done. Have fun. Go sit in your corner and be our little brother. And all your fans, they don't matter either. Well, I mean, we already know what Manfred thinks yeah, about the players. We know he that. said that's why we're testing it here and not anywhere else. Because right. he knows damn well the union wouldn't give in. Yeah. Major League Baseball, you would never allow half that. Yeah, and I think that it's getting tiring. The Little Brother Act is getting tiring. Obviously, you know, there's realities in play with the, the way Atlantic League Baseball is and the way that Major League Baseball is in the two tiers. But I think both players deserve, are great athletes and deserve respect from uh, Major League Baseball. I think this is anything it's a respect issue. I don't even necessarily think it's a Little Brother thing. I just don't think they really care right. about the period. Yeah, I think maybe. it's more like... In the same way that the XFL is the, uh, the spring league type thing, where it's just, you're just a testing ground. Whatever happens doesn't matter to you. It's just the way that is. Yeah, so. I mean, I could see, I could see it being that that's a, a good, actually, <laughs> analogy there. That's a good uh, relationship, uh, that you can see there as well. So. Yeah, I, I just think it's one of those where it's just like, look, most of your players, they're never even going to see our leagues. And if they do, odds are they're going to burn out by double or triple A. Maybe of the hundreds of players that are playing right now, probably about 200 players that are playing at the moment, or have been over the past year, maybe 12 of them see major league time. Maybe two of them are actual roster regulars at some point. So what do we really care if we damage them? That's what this seems an awful lot like. With a lot of the rule changes and everything, and it's very clear that the Major League Baseball is thinking them first, which, fair enough, it is. You right. need to put priorities yourself in any sort of business thing, but it just seems an awful lot, like especially the changes in the way they're being implemented, that they're just not acting in good faith. Right, and if they don't care, if that's really what it is, they simply don't care about the Atlantic League players, that's a shame, and that's something that should be addressed by Atlantic League's management and language league mm -hmm. uh, leadership because if you're going to say we don't care about our players if the Atlantic League doesn't care about their players there's no one there to protect them so if the MLB wants to do whatever they want to do with, with Atlantic League players and the AOPB is not going to protect them uh, what are you going to do then you've got these players that are not unionized and can't protect themselves so it's really a shame if that does happen exactly it's just it just, I don't, I don't get it. And plus, even, there's no communication. Like, that's been the thing that's been generally speaking. Like, I know I touched earlier in the week when I did part B, and I talked about Viola and his Newsday piece and all that. And he's saying one of his biggest things 
was there's just no communication. Yeah. As we see just from other people on Twitter, if you ask any of the people that cover the Atlantic League, that's been the historic bad thing about them. They just do not communicate anything. And it's one thing when you're just not communicating, like suspensions, like the fight in Lancaster, between them and the Skeeters, mm-hmm. when it's transactions and just roster moves, like when we didn't know why Dormany was scratched, but we had a feeling he got his contract purchased and took a while to get that out. It's one thing when small things like that. That's whatever. It's very minor. But when you're not, com- and that's when you're just communicating to the people outside. Right. When you're not even communicating to the umpires, to coaches, to players, what's going to happen, it's a major difference. Yeah, I think it's a major difference, and I think it's a big problem. And I think it will really hurt the, the league in the long term if they don't do that, especially with this partnership, because it's very controversial in some circles because of the way that Major League Baseball is treating players and simply seems to be treating the league in general as a kind of, like you're saying, a guinea pig. Uh, so we've got to see where that goes from here. Obviously, you would like to see communication and, well, the big word of the day, transparency. And then just kind of bringing this one thing up, too. Like we were talking with the one umpire last night for that little bit. Yeah. This seems like they didn't bother asking any input on how things are going to be rolled out. Because he said, when we asked, like, oh, how are you like an attract man? Right. He said, you know, it's not as bad, plus where I rank, I'm allowed to kind of, you know, if it's egregious, I can fix it. But I wish they would have done this from the beginning of the year. And not just put it in after the All-Star break. It's like you would have thought, huh, maybe we should take the input of the guys that have been umping this league for the past five years and carried it with some weight as opposed to just going, eh, now do it half. Yeah, when I when I asked that, that umpire last night, I think the first thing that went through my head when he gave the answer of, well, I wish, I wish we really would have been able to have kind of more say <laughs> into yeah. when this kind of came to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to put words in his mouth, but really more of what, you know, he wished that it would have been implemented earlier in the year. Um, I, I think he liked it for the most part. He seemed yeah. very positive about it. But I think he certainly did understand that putting it in the beginning of the year would have been better for all the umpires. Um, and I, I think that's one thing that's not a bad bad thing. I think they have implemented that okay. I think that it didn't, I wa- sitting there watching the game, it didn't feel like it changed the game too much to me. Hmm. It felt still like a pure game. And obviously, like he said, if he has the ability to overrule it a little bit, that's a good thing. So I, I agree that, you know, we got to be careful with being overly critical. We don't want to be overly critical of this, but also we got to be realistic. I think. Exactly. Like, that's the thing. Just There's certain things where it's just like, uh... I really wish you didn't roll it out that way. I really wish you didn't do it. And I think, like, the data is, like, one of those very small mounds that there's a decent enough people that are going not to be willing to die on it, but to certainly wage a battle on it. Yeah. And it is just, like, such a minor thing. I really just don't get why you can't just release it. Right. I don't understand why they can't release it. It's just because they're being stubborn. And like you're saying, you're our guinea pigs. Do what we want. It's terrible. Exactly. So... So, so one thing I, I want to talk about, I was thinking about this in my reprieve, and I'm going to write an article about this. And this is one thing that I, I want to talk about is where does indie ball go from here? Uh, mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot on the show about all the other leagues and specifically focusing on the Can-Am League and the Atlantic League. Uh, and so really something that I, I want to talk about is the idea of baseball in general and do we keep going on this trend of losing baseball, uh, of losing fans, do less people being interested in baseball, or... Does a groundswell from independent leagues really help to keep baseball as, quote-unquote, America's pastime, but also America's present? So I'm going to be writing an article a little bit later in the week about that. 
And so I wanted to get your ideas on it now, and maybe we could talk about this, start the discussion a little bit, and then, you know, the additional discussion uh, when the article comes out. You know, I think it's a, it's a very, in, it's always an interesting uh, topic in general, because there's a couple ways you could look at it. You could go as, like, these small independent leagues, what they serve as, they work for the community that they're in. And that's just what they're going to be, that's just how they are, and they keep it alive in those small things, in those small areas. Because if you're being realistic, Major League Baseball will never really have many major issues. Obviously, they'll have attendance issues like they have now, and that's why they're trying all the crazy stuff that they're trying in the Atlantic League to see what they can steal from him. But, you know, obviously, right. that's how mm-hmm. that is. Yeah. I think kind of its place going forward is a mixture of more limited, but stronger in what's left. That's kind of my thought on it. Because if you look at certain areas, like we were talking about Sussex at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. If you look at their attendance numbers, it's not great. They're, right. they're drawing about 1,600 people a game. Yeah. Granted, some days they're going to shoot up, have, you know, 3,000. Other days they're going to have 800. I mean, that's yeah. what it's just going to be. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear that, especially with a lot of these teams, they rely heavily on group sales and they rely heavily on getting people in on the weekends and hopefully having enough money to put things at promotions. But it's the best way I think to describe independent league baseball is kind of the mom and pop shop of baseball, <laughs> where you're never going to have the money rolling in right. in droves. You're never going to have like that safety lifeline like you're going to have an affiliated ball, where at least you don't have to worry about paying players because the big club's going to handle it. If right. you ever get into a real pinch, you just ask up the chain, and you're probably going to get another 50000 and be able to be bailed out. Now, you can't do that too often, of course, but it's still there. Yeah. Independently, it's kind of like, well, whatever you have, you have, and you just make it work. So you kind of just have to say, okay, we have 10 grand to spend on promotions this year. We got to figure out the best way to spread this out throughout the year and just kind of figure it out. So I, if I had to guess, like, if we're looking 10 years down the line, I imagine there's fewer teams, but the ones that are left are really just stronger and strengthened from it. Right. Uh, yeah. And so that's what, that's kind of what I've been thinking about it as well. I've been thinking that baseball, as it's kind of declined in popularity and basketball and football have kind of taken its place as the, the most popular sport. I think it's you kind of uh, become kind of a cult following, really, if you think about it, mm-hmm. um, in a way that baseball fans really love baseball. Like if you, there are very, there are fewer and fewer casual baseball fans that will just go to games. And I think that's the niche that independent leagues fill is that casual fan. Cause there's very few fa- casual fans who are going to go and spend, you know, $150 for a ticket to go to, you know, the Mets or the Yankees or anything like that. Mm. Um, and sit there and see an MLB game. But I think, you know, the grassroots baseball, the casual fan is in the independent league. And you're going to, you see that more and more as people just go to the game, just enjoy going to the game just because it's a cheap thing to do on the weekends. And I think that's what made baseball great early on was people went to just enjoy the game, enjoy being outside, enjoy being, seeing competition and things like that. So I think independent league baseball has a very interesting, particularly the Atlantic League has a very interesting role to play in the future of baseball uh, in America for the casual fan, not mm. the not the cult following, not the Yankee fan, the diehard Red Sox or Met fan. I'm talking about a casual yeah. fan. It's very interesting, like especially around here in the Northeast, you have like two halves of the same coin. Where you have the Atlantic League that's clearly trying a bunch of stuff, pushing themselves forward, and obviously made a lot of headlines when they signed that partnership. And then you have the Can-Am League that's just like 
the definition of normal, it just does what it does. It's not any different. It's just there. It's just baseball. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, you see the two differences there. And I know when we were talking about the whole, you know, well, this could be an alternative to you on Twitter there, which if you're not following Indie Ball Report, Indie Ball Pod on uh, Twitter there. Shameless plug. Gotta plug. You're saying that the Can-Am could be an alternative. And the problem with, I think, seeing the Can-Am as an alternative or seeing it as kind of like that old way of doing things, like grassroots kind of way of doing things, and what makes what the Atlantic League's doing so interesting is that the Atlantic League, for so many years, and even still, and what will probably remain, Premier Independent League, the second oldest one, only to the Frontier League, who's yeah. now... They're in trouble. I mean, you lose three teams. We'll talk about River City and the possible expansion of the Atlantic League in just a minute. Mm-hmm. But losing three teams in two years is a lot to lose. It's a lot to lose. And, I mean, you go down from 12 to 9 in a two-year span. It's drastic there. And who knows how many more you're going to lose or how many more you're going to keep. Yeah. I heard a, a wild rumor that they said, oh, well, the Can-Am and the Frontier could combined, that's not going to happen. That doesn't seem likely. That there's a large amount of logistical factors that I could go into, but apparently I, I understand that a lot of people don't find them very entertaining for me to talk about, well, if you want to talk about the travel expense, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not the most uh, compelling thing to talk about here, but just distance-wise, it makes no sense. Right. And also I think they're just they're kind of two different things. They make sense to play in an all-star game, but not for a for a full 100-game uh, season. But any case, it's you have to come to terms if you're going to say, well, I want that old way of doing things, that kind of traditional baseball game. You have to come to terms with the fact you're not going to have as nice your ballparks. It's not going to be as fancy. It, you're not going to have a high-quality... Well, I don't want to say you're not going to have a high-quality player, but the quality of play is going to be lesser. You're not going to see as much XMLB, XAAA talent you're going to see a lot of guys that, you know, they went as far as, like, advanced A, maybe some double A. You probably have one or two guys that have some surface time in the major leagues, and that's about it. I mean, there's a reason why Matt Latos was such a big deal last year. Right. And he goes to the Atlantic League, and no one knows. No one cares. Because he's just another one of the guys that just kind of went there, and, you know, he's trying to get back. Yeah. You have to come to terms with that's what it's going to be. And it's a matter of, do you want to make that sacrifice if the price of the ticket's about $2 difference? Yeah, I, I think the only reason that I said that the, you could see a, a pickup in the Can-Am League is, well, I was simply referencing this area. So yeah. in this area, you have uh, this northeastern New Jersey region in northeast, northwest New Jersey. You have the Patriots, you have the Jackals, and you have the Miners. And then you have Rockland. And you have Rockland, but... That's just Rockland just being just over the board in New York. Yeah, basically Uh, Ramapo. So, I mean, I'd count Rockland there. Right, so we'll count Rockland in the, the, we'll say, tri-state area. What what you've got is, would you rather go to a game where someone can throw the ball behind the backstop and take first base, uh, or would you rather go to a normal game where you just... Traditional baseball, as you've seen it played since you were a little kid. And so I think it goes back to catering for younger and older fans. So I think younger fans, you and I, our age, you know, and maybe even a little bit older, a little bit younger, would be willing to go to see the Atlantic League game. I think they'd be going to that game and they'd be, uh, you know, and I think that's where my argument of the casual fan come in. They'd rather be the casual fan who sees these new things. The older fan is going to go to the Can-Am League. They're going to be drawn to the Can-Am League. 
because they can sit there and watch the game as they've always seen it. So I don't think the new changes are good for the older fans, but I do think in the long term those changes will be good. So my only point was you could see a slight uptick in that traditional fan moving from uh, Atlantic to Can-Am in this area. While I agree with that, I also do wonder, how much does someone really take that into consideration when they're going to see a game? I mean, like, you have to also be somewhat realistic about it, where if you're just going out with the family to see a baseball game, how much do you care about how the rules are different from one to another? I mean, depending. I mean, if we're talking about people who really like baseball and are a traditional baseball, like, we're not, if we're moving away from that casual fan and we're moving to a more uh, serious fan here, then you're talking about a different group. But if you're talking about that casual fan, they don't, they don't care. Exactly. That's, see, and I think that's the main thing independently like baseball. Because, I mean, with the exception of, like, the one guy that we saw the Patriot <laughs> team last night who was really giving it to every yeah. umpire. We have, you got Minor Man and all those oh, guys yeah. here, yeah. Yeah, and the Jackal guy there with the, with the horn. Yeah. But as the exception of guys like that, how many people really go ahead and wear the their independent team on their sleeve? You know, how many people are doing that as opposed to just saying, you know, it's a night to get out. What difference does it make if I go to, you know, the Jackals, if I go to the Miners, do I go to the, to the Patriots, do I go to Rockland? By and large, for a lot of people, it's just a matter of what stadium's nicer, what's closest, and what's cheapest. Really, a price point thing or location thing. I'll agree with that, and I, and I certainly think uh, there, there's a this about argument. However, for for talking about uh, again older fans, traditional fans, and if they know these rule changes are in play, they're they're in the news. You've seen a lot about them. If you see these things and you're you know thinking about oh, and it's about equidistant, right? To go to a jackal game or to go to a patriot game, you might think twice. You might go to the jackal game. If, uh, you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, I can see normal baseball the way I've always seen it, or I can see these weird rules. You might see the world re- weird rules once or twice for a gimmick, but they might get old. You might, you might get annoyed with them. Uh, so it depends on the view of the fan, but I do think that you can see a slight uptick for the Can-Am League, mm-hmm. because you might have some baseball purists out there yeah. that don't like these rules. Yeah, I certainly think that's possible that you just see it shifting over, but I think that's kind of a larger problem just to kind of raises this last issue before we kind of move on to the next thing. I think the kind of larger issue as a whole is that it just attends this down on the whole. If you look just year to year, it's been trending downward now. Yeah. I think that's a mixture of baseball's just not as popular as you're mm-hmm. saying beforehand. Yeah. I think it's a mixture of, you know, just not wanting to spend the price. Cause I mean, like last night, for example, when we went to that Patriot game, it was not a cheap outing. No, it's which, not a cheap outing. You know, if you want to look at it, it was, for two tickets, thirty dollars for that, about twenty six, I think it was in total. Mm-hmm. Then it was about another thirty for food. Then if you want another snack in there, I mean they charge seven dollars for popcorn. <laughs> I mean four dollars for a bottle of water. Rather I mean, salty popcorn, by the extremely way. Extremely salty popcorn. I mean, God. <laughs> uh, no so free you, peanuts. You gotta bring that up in New Britain. I know New Britain. Gonna. Any case, uh, by and large, you're just for two people to go to a baseball game. You're looking at bare minimum, you're spending 26, which fair enough. Right. But more than likely, you're looking closer to 50, 60 dollars. And that's not exactly a cheap outing. And that's just for two people. No, if you've got a family of four, you're looking at like 100, 120. Right. But it's still exponentially less than any other type of sporting event that you're going to go to. I mean, like, I'm not necessarily so sold on that. I no. mean, like, I've managed to go to Met games where physical at the ballpark pricing, it was about 20 a ticket to get in. Fair enough, Major League, you pay a little bit more. 
And food-wise, it would have came to only slightly more. Like, at that point, between talent on the field and general experience, the price point of, like, maybe $10, $20 in total difference... But again, you're talking about different target audiences. I mean, to take the train in or to drive an hour and a half is a lot different than 15 minutes down the road. Of course, I'm just saying, though, it's still, if you're budgeting yourself as, you know, family affordable entertainment to charge, you know, a $70 outing for a family of three, it doesn't really ring true with affordable. Certainly we we bought the best tickets and, well, second best tickets and those kind of things. There's cheaper ways to do it, but your point is valid. Uh, I do think just as a last point to kind of put a bow on this, we could get back to more actual baseball stuff on the field stuff. But to, to kind of put a bow on this, I do think that these leagues need to be careful. Yeah. That they don't price themselves out of the draining market. And there's a shrinking market. But like you said, I do think that there is some uh, community connections yeah. that will always remain with these teams. Mm. Uh, people, you know, as we're going to talk about in a minute with River City and things like that, people are connected to these teams and they don't want them to leave. They don't want them to fold. So uh, I would say that you've got to be careful if you're these teams. I mean, the Patriots have had an outstanding run of success for many years, and I'm sure they know what they're doing better than you or I could prognosticate. But, the you know, $30 for, you know, two buckets of chicken and uh, chicken tenders and two drinks is a lot. Exactly. It's just it's one of those things where I really do wonder, if you're saying the standard family of four, if you can kind of pick, you're like, okay, it's $120 outing for a baseball game, or mini golfing where it's going to be more like 50. Right. And, well, I think the the best part is is that Rockland has, has the, has the key because they've got the mini golf there. They've Rockland, got really good food and drink options. That's a great stadium yeah. up there. Rockland's like, that stadium is perfect for the Atlantic League. Okay. Everything about them screams Atlantic League. But the problem is, I don't really think the Atlantic League screaming, yeah, we want you. And that's the problem. I think... Th- and I think now we're going to go to Gaston here because I think Rockland Gaston's futures may be a little tight here because it seems like inevitable at this point that yeah. Gaston is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I believe actually it's either today or sometime in the next week there's going to be the full presentation to the Gaston City Council here right. uh, about uh, getting that team in there in the brand new arena that's or not arena stadium mm-hmm. that's going to be opening in 2021. And so hopefully they'll be able to play that same season. So you'd announce it this season. You take the year to kind of get everything in order. Right. And then kind of go from there. It seems inevitable they're going to get their team. Uh, the Grizzlies have the Coastal Plains Summer League team. They're going to, they're gone. Yep. It, that's just how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to really have stable place to play. That means it's going to be very hard to find. You're really going to be up against the wall. It just doesn't look great there. Plus, you put uh, Summer Collegiate against Atlantic. Atlantic's going to win, yep. Exactly. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, that plus if I drive an hour away, Rockland's right, or not Rockland, High Point's right there. High Point, yep. Greensboro, all the affiliated teams there. It's going to be too saturated, and they're just going to kind of be forced out. So that's unfortunate if you're a Summer Collegiate fan. However, there is a replacement there. So kind of like we said back in Episode 1, yeah, what you tell you lost the wing nuts, but you're getting a triple A team, so it's kind of a neutral. Right. Net neutral there. At least you're seeing some baseball. Exactly. You're not totally going out into uh, no man's land, but I was like, what I'm kind of getting at with uh, Gaston and Rockland being tied is I would assume you don't want to bring in another World Warrior team. Like, right. that's really not, like, it's an option, but it's not a great option. And when you have Rockland that has a stadium that's there, that's 
all but ready. All you have to do is put the track man into it. Yep. And then you're good to go, which, I mean, putting the track man in would take, what, uh, a weekend? Oh, yeah, a weekend. <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't take very long at all. You could do it right in the offseason, be ready to start play first thing. Absolutely. The only concern I would have is what kind of agreement do they have with the Can-Am League to kind of get out from there? Would you mm-hmm. need to do some sort of a buyout, which I think would be the most... Uh, the best solution to this. The most equitable, yeah. Exactly. Now, granted, with the situation in Ottawa not being the most set in stone thing beyond five years, if I'm the Can-Am, I really don't want to let Rockland out of anything, and I would need a huge buyout to really consider it. I agree with that, yeah. Or I'd need that expansion to come through that when was talking about, mm-hmm. talking with three different markets, I assume... The goal for them is to go from six to go to eight. So that way you could be self-sustaining. You don't need to bring in the foreign teams and all that. Right. Or the, uh, basically the show pony teams. Right. Yeah. You don't need to bring them in. The Selena Stockade. <laughs> yeah. The Selena Stockade, uh, Shikoku Island All-Stars. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, let's see the Empire League All-Star team. You don't need to do that. You could just keep it all in house between the eight. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly though, if you lose two teams, you go down to four. Or you lose your top attendance team, and then you lose the team that's currently third in attendance. So you still have Quebec, you still have the Jackals, and then you have your bottom two with uh, Sussex and uh, uh, Bach. Mm-hmm. You're not in the best shape there, so it's very hard to then say, oh, well, let's just toss in a couple more teams. Right. Then you have to convince that city to go, yeah, you could do it. Yeah. When <laughs> if, you, if I see, oh, well, you lost two teams in the span of about 12 months, it's not a healthy league. Exactly. I don't want anything to do with that. That's going to backfire on me. So from that point of view, getting Rockland in there would be, uh, be difficult, I would say. I agree. Yeah, I think Rockland leaving would be detrimental uh, to the Can-Am League, to say the least. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's not exactly, it's a very interesting position, though, for everyone to be in there. I agree. You yeah. can't even rule out Atlantic City or uh, Pawtucket. Yeah, you can't rule either of them out. You know, the thing is, is that all of these things are up in the air. Um, you know, we need one domino to fall before anything else can. Exactly. And I think, um, the Atlantic League's expansion plans are a lot more on schedule than the Can-Am League's expansion plans at this point. You could probably get, like you said, two teams in there rather quickly, uh, in short order, really, Mm -hmm. depending on how, like you said, if Rockland can kind of navigate their way out of there. And now I'm not even sure the same thing that's keeping them tied there, other than just kind of, uh, you know, like more or less an agreement. Yeah, I don't know. Kind of like, sure. look, we're not going to leave or anything like that. That's something to look into, actually. Yeah, no, that's something that'll be researched there. But it's just a very interesting thing because Rockland would make the most sense if you're adding Gastona. Yeah, if that's you're adding Gastona, you got to add Rockland. Because it just makes a lot of sense to go, okay, we're going to do this in 2021. This is when the move is going to get made. You tell the Can-Am League in advance so they have that one year to figure it out. Now, if you go down to five, it's a very interesting position if you have a Can-Am leading to be in. Because now all of a sudden it's like, okay... Road Warriors! And that's something you really don't want. No, you don't want that. Especially in that kind of league. But, you know, at this point, Gaston seems all but a lock to be there. It does seem to be a lock, but I think I question it because of High Point, right? I question it because... You know, the the market there didn't really... It's not yeah, really it's working out. Been on and off. You know, it's been on and off, hot and cold, and, and the market there seems a little saturated. Got a lot of teams in, uh, you know, a couple hours span there. So I, I'm interested to see, you know, obviously if it does go through, it looks like it's going to go through. If it does go through, what happens and how we kind of, uh, 
you know, how it goes. How it yeah. goes and I mean, as I said last time, Rock, uh, while most teams' attendance have been down, High Point has been going back up. High Point has been going back up, yeah. And I imagine with uh, High Point University coming back into session in the yeah. next couple of weeks, mm-hmm. that uh, they're going to kind of shoot up a little bit more. So I agree. It'll be interesting to watch how that plays out. Mm-hmm. By next week, we should kind of uh, have more solid information to talk about with uh, Gastona. Yep. So uh, we'll hopefully have that. Uh, kind of now shifting now to the last thing we have on the agenda today, outside of uh, second to last thing, because I want to talk about uh, uh, Isaac Pavlik, who's getting his number retired. Uh, Jack, old guy, he played for a very long time for them. Very solid pitcher for many years with them. Uh, definitely deserves to have his number retired. That's going to be August 29th. Uh, whole ceremony, it's going to be going to be a nice night. So yeah, it's going to be a good night to uh, obviously honor a really good player. And uh, I think we'll be there, and it'll be a lot of fun to, to really see that and, and feel, like you said, those fans that, that are a little bit more passionate, this is for them, and this yeah. is something they're really going to enjoy, and I'm sure it'll be special for him as well. Yep, and I believe he is now going to be the fourth player that actually has played for the Jackals. I was number retired, and I believe the fifth overall, seeing as Yoki's eight sauce retired. Right, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, now to the actual really last substance topic of the day, uh, River City, that unfortunately uh, in the beginning of the week, announced that they will be ceasing operations at the end of the year due to a failure to come to terms on the lease this past year. It was on a one-year lease, and then they were just not able to negotiate anything long-term. Uh, where it's located in Old Fallon, uh, Missouri, as already said, they're negotiating with uh, several other parties to kind of take over the facility. And I have seen the other day that supposedly they already have, they were already fairly deep in talks with one particular uh, Entity. Yeah, I, mean, I think this is one of those situations where when you can't get these lease agreements done, it's frustrating. It's frustrating for fans, it's frustrating for teams, uh, and it's certainly frustrating for leagues. You lose a team like this, it's really detrimental to what you're trying to do long term. And so uh, I think it's interesting to see kind of where they go from here. Uh, and obviously, nobody wants these things to happen. These are the stories we hate reporting on the most. Ironically, these were one of the first ones we did, but uh, it sounds like a blast from the past. But yeah, like I was saying just a minute ago, the city of O'Fallon had tweeted to somebody earlier when they retweeted the River City thing saying that they were uh, going to cease operations at the end of the year, because that at least does go to New Year's Eve of uh, 2019, so anything that's already scheduled will be finished through the year, and starting January 1, that's when it doesn't have a tenant. Yep. And someone had said... Uh, Please get a new team for next year. Uh, I have such a great memory of the ballpark, don't we all? And then uh, the CEO of Fallon responded with, We are in discussion with potential tenants already. We are optimistic we will have a new team by 2020. Find the language on it to be interesting to say we'll have a new team there. That's good language. If, if you're an o, you're an O'Fallon, that's, the, that's what you want to hear. You want to hear that you're going to have a new team. They're not going to get the tenant part. That that's should scare you a little bit. And then when they say a new team, that's when you go, oh, okay, now we're, we're more optimistic. Obviously, if they can get a new team in there, that's great. Everybody wins. Fans and team, uh, fans and city get what they want out of that. Exactly. Now I'm just concerned where that team's going to be. Is it going to yeah. be a summer collegiate team, which has been kind of the trend lately? For teams to leave independent ball to go to summer collegiate to cut down on expenses, yep. like we saw with the uh, with normal, like we saw with Traverse City, like we've seen time and time again that that's typically the move that you make. Maybe it's a Can Am league. <laughs> <laughs> that honestly, that would be funny if that was where the Can Am decided to go. That would shock pull, me. 
more than that, though, I think the, I think it's probably going to be summer collegiate. Wouldn't be kind of surprised if it was Frontier, but it wouldn't be overly surprising if it was Frontier going right back there. Yeah. Uh, mainly because my real surprise would be, I would assume then the league would have just operated River City. Right. And then that's how you would negotiate at least. Maybe American Association there Could in the general region. Yep. Maybe our old friend Mark, he's Mark. finally getting around to it. He's like, look, I'll put a team in there. Yeah, maybe, you know. Maybe it's finally going to happen after four years of waiting. I doubt it. <laughs> Maybe that new Western League's getting in there. Maybe the new Western League. That looks pretty I mean, impressive. I mean, they're saying the furthest thing east is going to be Colorado, so maybe, but... You never know. I mean, I don't know. Anything's possible with new leagues. They're they're historically kind of scattered until, like, the, if you get past 10 years, then you can start believing in them, yeah. typically speaking. You don't want to invest too much until you get to the five year, and then the 10 year, you're like, okay, now we're, now we're cooking with fire. Yeah. Uh, so maybe that, but I'm really kind of leaning towards it's going to be summer collegiate. I agree. Summer collegiate seems to be the more, um, the one of those things. The way you, it kind of goes. Yeah, the way it goes. And one of those things you can really throw in quickly. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to get all the moving parts for a Can-Am te- league team or one of those independent league teams to get thrown into there. Specifically Can-Am, because like you said, all the logistic problems that that would be, that would be a nightmare. Um, but certainly for... Uh, you know, one of these, especially these newer leagues, it, it's a lot of work to get that stuff in. Uh, oh, yeah, Summer no. Collegiate seems one of those things, boom, you can throw it in there and it's ready to go uh, day one. I think that's really something interesting. But what I really would like to do, I really like to get, like, people from the organization on, or yeah. someone from the city on, and yeah. just kind of talk and be like, yeah, what's happening with this? Because we see this and then, you know. Yeah, we speculate. And, you know, obviously this is all speculation and we're just trying to figure it out. The same as you guys are. We have a little bit of information, but we would really like it if we could get uh, somebody from the team on. We'll reach out at some point and to see, hey, you know, what's going on? Exactly. I, I just am very interested in when things like this happen. That and expansion of new teams, stuff like that. I love all that kind of stuff. Oh, it's yeah. so, so interesting to me to see how everything's going to kind of work out. So, I think we've reached a pretty good point this week. I uh, think we can kind of cut her off here, plug everything, get out of it. Uh, so will end content week. Seven days of just a bunch of stuff every single day. So, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. We're back to our regular once a week you're going to get the show. We're still going to try and pump out articles and stuff like that. Not the same pace that this past week was, but probably think like one article a week, maybe a video a week, or every other week. You know, just... Kind of keeping pace and giving you content to view. Uh, just kind of a rundown. If you missed anything, episode 24A and B, so we split them in half because there's a lot of stuff that was missed, and that was the easiest way of doing it. Episode A dealt with all the play we missed on that month that we were on hiatus. Uh, episode B dealt with all the off-the-field transactions, anything like that, that was dealt with there. Episode A came out last Saturday. Episode B came out on Tuesday, I believe. You could look at those. Articles that came out in the meanwhile, uh, five players you can see in the Atlantic League, I wrote that one, as well as the ranking the mascots of the Atlantic League. Both of those are very good. Check those out if you haven't done so already. Everything that's going to be mentioned here is also available on the website, IndieBarReport.com. And then the two videos that have dropped, or will be dropping, I'm not sure if I'm going to get the second one I'm going to list out yet. By and large, though, the two videos that are going to be out, uh, the first one explained the Ottawa Champion situation, and then the second one that gives you a rundown of the team history of the Sussex Skyhawks, the team before the Miners that unfortunately did not fare so well and came after the New Jersey Cardinals. Uh, so that's also up. You should be looking at both of those. Both fairly interesting. Decent enough to, uh, to give it a view. 
yet that I certainly think we should, uh, you know, I'll check those out. I think fans of the show uh, certainly will get a lot out of those articles. And obviously myself, uh, as I said earlier in the week, I'm going to get back on the writing train and we'll be writing an article uh, about independent league baseball and kind of the grassroots effort of baseball in America. All right, so just the rundown of it. You have an article on players that could be playing, an article on the mascots and uh, them being ranked. Two podcasts, well, three with this one. Yep. Two videos, one on Ottawa, one on Sussex, and an article coming up on the future of independent league baseball and its place in baseball as a whole in America. And so with that, you can find us also on theindieballreport.com. That's where all of this stuff is. Very convenient and very easy to get to. And you can find us on IndieBallPod on Twitter. That's where we do a lot of the uh, communicating, a lot of stuff we brought up. That's where we mainly get along at. That's really where the whole indie ball community's at. So get at it there. Start by following us and then following everyone that we follow. And then you can also find us on Instagram at IndieBallReport. And so with all that being said, if we have nothing else left to add, nothing else. Until next time, don't forget to play all. Awesome.